ladies and gentlemen, it's no secret that I'm into astrology and the secret is out. So Ephemeris, who creates astrological talismans of your birth chart, um, reached out to me and they are sending me a little talisman, which is a necklace, uh, black and silver with a little engraving on it that says the kingdom of heaven is within you. And um, what you need to make the talisman is the date, time, and location of your birth. If you don't have your birth, that's not a problem. You can still create an accurate abbreviated chart. Um, the charts come in black and silver, black and gold, and black and rose gold. They're made in the United States. Over 17,000 orders have been placed on Ephemeris. To go to Ephemeris and order your talisman, go to www.ephemeris.com. That's www.ephemeris.com. Check them out. <clears throat> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Esoteric Gladiator. I am your host, Jeremy Lifsey, and today is my first podcast in quite some time. I have uh, been up in Alaska for a little over a month now, tattooing up here, and it has been an endless onslaught of tattooing, and um, when I say that, I mean it's one person after the other. Uh, and, uh, I worked for 23 days straight at one point, took one day off and then worked another nine days straight. And today is my second day off. So forgive me if I've been slipping a little bit on the podcasting. I have every intention of doing a lot more of it. When I get back to the mainland, I will be up here for another month in Homer, Alaska. It is beautiful up here. It's cold, but it's beautiful, and some days it's sunny, but it's still kind of cold. Um, it stays daylight for probably about 20 hours a day, so it's it's pretty crazy. You know, you l leave the tattoo shop at 11 at night, and it's still bright outside, um, but it's been a really good time. I uh, hadn't came up here for... Over three years, but I had spent uh, three summers here before that. So this is the first time in about four years that I've came up here. This is my fourth time in Homer, and it's an incredible place. And what's really interesting is is the lady that I work for, I met on Maui, and um, she had asked me if I wanted to come tattoo at her shop in Alaska. <clears throat> and I said, Alaska? Wow, that, that's random. I will I be busy there? And she goes, yeah, you'll be uh, probably too busy. And I and I was like, really? I never thought about going to Alaska. And she said, it's beautiful. And I said, okay. Um, yeah, that might be something I'm interested in. And she's like, well, I'll buy your ticket. And I said, okay, well, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go. And so I came up for about a month. And um it was incredible and the people here are really nice and the culture up here is really cool and the food up here is excellent and um, i mean i can't eat enough smoked salmon so today i'm actually is my second day off since i've been here and i'm going to this thing called salmon fest which is like a music festival and oh yeah some other 
local Alaskan type things. And I'm pretty excited about that because I've never been to it, even though every time I've been here, <clears throat> Salmon Fest has been happening. I usually work through it. But this time I get to go spend a day there and um, really looking forward to it. Um, in the last eight months, I've been to 15 states and multiple towns in every state. And it's been an incredible journey. And um, I will do another podcast on the travels. Um, but nah, maybe I'll do it right now. Um, places that stand out in every state. You know, Washington, when I look back... The area that I was in was beautiful. You know, it was on the Olympic Peninsula, Port Angeles and Squim. It was beautiful. Um, If I had to live in Washington all over again, I would do it in the Spokane area. I really like Spokane. It's not as rainy over there. It's a little drier. Um, And, uh, you know, the end result of Washington was... It was cold, it was rainy, and I feel like I had some mold issues. In general, it was beautiful. I got allergies there. I'd never had allergies before in my life. Um, you know, as far as the city goes, outside of the fact that they're trashing every city in America as fast as they possibly can, and the only people that don't see it are the dipshits that live in the city, uh, they're begging for more garbage, um, unbeknownst to them for some reason. Even though, to me, it's like... The chess moves played by these elites is so obvious, but for some reason, uh, the leftist agenda just doesn't see it. They're they're living in a mystical fairyland where socialism is going to give them everything that they want. Um, I saw this great meme about, <clears throat> and it had like these guys in military outfits, and it said something like, oh, so you thought socialism was sitting in a cafe sipping a latte, ha ha. Get up the wall, get up against the wall. And it's true. It's like, how many times does that particular type of political system have to fail? And that's not to say that socialized programs aren't good because we have a lot of really good socialized programs in our country and around the world. But socialism in general always leads to communism. But I mean, we can look at even capitalism now in America as leading to uh, communist capitalism. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And I don't really want to spend all my time bashing the left because the right pisses me off too, just not as much. Uh, but, you know, Seattle is a dope city. Um, and it was really, really incredible a few years back. Um, Tacoma is a cool, cool little city. Um, you know, they're cities, but like, I don't know, man, like, Tacoma is like really, it's a really earthy city. There's like a lot of like nature and, and, and stuff in it for, for being a city. And I know that there's a lot of crime there and stuff like that, but it's cool. Um, and then from Washington, when I left, I went to Oregon and, uh, went through Portland, another incredible city that's just getting wrecked and ruined. And, um, you know, I was in Portland uh, not too long ago either, about two months ago, two and a half months ago. And it's like, man, it's such a dope fucking city. Like, it's too bad. It's just, it's getting eaten up by drug addicts and crime and 
trash and hypodermic needles and all this sh- this other shit and just you know leftist policies <clears throat> and um people are too proud to change their views or politically or um socially and it's it's not politically correct to be anything but leftist in those areas it seems like um and uh you know i was outside of portland in a place called tigard which was really really beautiful and very just full of nature and and hills and you know it was a really really awesome area um again cold uh snowing the last time i was out there icy um and i a lot of times when i travel i drive but sometimes i take the train and sometimes i fly like i flew up to alaska I have driven all over the country, um, well, at least to the Midwest and some of the South, um, but when I took the train to Oregon the last time, it was so snowy that we got stuck in, in the mountains for like nine hours on the train, and there was like a nine-hour delay, um, but it wasn't a horrible experience, <clears throat> and Oregon is incredibly beautiful, it's just very rainy up there. Um, and then we have Nevada, which I really didn't get to see a lot of. I stopped, I stopped, uh, through Reno, which was kind of cool. Um, I also stopped in Area 51, which, blah, it was, it was cool to be in Area 51 and like nostalgic because of all the alien stuff, but I wouldn't say there was anything that stood out particularly about Area 51, but it was what I did was is I camped out for the night in this little rest stop and I was like hoping to see UFO activity. I didn't see it and woke up in the morning and I drove into Arizona <clears throat> and from Arizona I I drove through like, you know, some really nice areas and then wound up in Chino Valley, which is outside of Prescott with my dad, and then we took off to and Chino Valley there's nothing spectacular about it to me um where my dad lives is nice uh as as far as like you know kind of like a a desert area goes he does have like a juniper forest in the back of his house uh, on on some trust land but in general it's 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 pretty deserty out there it's pretty hot it's pretty brown and dry um lots of dust but there's some charm to it. I wouldn't want to live there myself. But, um, hey. Um, from there, we went to Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, which is one of the oldest native monolithic structures in America, to my knowledge, but definitely in the Southwest. And it was uh, inhibited by the Anasazis and other tribes uh known as a trading post um and based on my um limited knowledge of um geology and things like that looking at chaco canyon um from a perspective of how did a place in such a drought as such a dry extremely hot area in the summer and extremely cold area in the winter how did a place like this flourish? Well, um, it's thousands of years old, number one. Um, uh, number two, I believe that the Smithsonian or some other, you know, westernized museum came through and raped and pillaged the area of a lot of its architecture as well as its um, um, 
artifacts. But how did a place like this thrive? Um, I believe that at one point it was it was much more moist and much more vegetation. And, and the proof in me believing that is when I walked above Chaco Canyon uh, onto a plateau of mountains and um, noticed what appeared to be, <clears throat> and this is not a far-fetched idea, uh, petrified roots within the rocks of the mountains. Now, the reason why I say it's not a far-fetched idea is... <clears throat> Because New Mexico is known for its petrified tree forests, which I got to see. And so with that being said, um, at some point, if there is petrified roots in the plateau uh, rocks above Chaco Canyon, that would mean that it was much more lush, much more vegetation, much moister and wetter in that area. Not to mention um, going through Chaco Canyon about 100 to 200 feet away from the structures was a uh, a river basin which looked to be about 20 feet deep and about 30 feet across. And growing through the bottom of the river canyon or river bed was uh, trees. And which to me meant that there was no other trees really around Chaco Canyon, at least no big ones. But in these riverbeds were what I believe possibly still alive, but they look to be dead trees. And which told me that in the right climate, trees and vegetation could grow a lot more prolifically in these areas. Uh, the trees look to be about 40 to 50 feet tall. Um, and, um, you know, I assume that at one point the, the expanse of this desert surrounding Chaco Canyon was a lot wetter and full of a lot more vegetation. <clears throat> I had heard recently from someone that Chaco Canyon may have been a slave trading post. Now I know it's not romantic to think about the Indians other than being oppressed by white people, but ladies and gentlemen... Uh, my grandmother was native. She was born on a reservation in Tama, Iowa, the Meskwaki Indian Reservation, also known as the Sac and Fox. They were popular for the French-Indian Wars. And uh, the native people were savages. Um, and that's not to say that they didn't have good um, uh, traits or that, you know, but they were humans like the rest of us. So they n were not without flaw or without violence or hatred or you know, sexual depravity or any number of other things that human beings of all races and sexual orientations engage in. So um, I had heard that Chaco Canyon was possibly known for slave trading. And um, I did notice that there was a lot of um, circular shaped and um, <clears throat> what I need to do is post these pictures on... Um, my uh, Instagram feed. I, I've had so much problems with social media lately, which is why I've kind of like limited my time on there. And I just basically get on there to, to watch uh, quick clips of kind of current affairs these days. Um, but uh, in Chaco Canyon, in these architectural structures, were um, about 15 feet down were these, you know, 
you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 foot by 30 foot circular, um, what looked like it could have been, I don't know, like storage pits, but there was a lot of them. And it's possible that, you know, these could have been storage pits for human slaves. I don't know. I wasn't there. I just found it really interesting because I couldn't figure out what these deep um, storage pits in Chaco Canyon were. And I was like, what were they used to store food? Because I know that like root cellars, they, they dig them down um, and they store food. That's definitely possible. But there was a lot of these store, you know, storage uh, uh, pits in Chaco Canyon, a lot of them. And they were very big and expansive. I was wondering if they were bathhouses or saunas or sweat lodges possibly, uh, but I, I couldn't figure it out. But Chaco Canyon was an interesting experience and it literally, we had to drive like three and a half hours into nothingness in the middle of the desert just to get there. From Chaco Canyon, we went back to Arizona and um, I went and I visited my mother in Goodyear, Arizona, which is just outside of Phoenix. Again, a hot, dry, brown desert. Has some charm, but not really a place that I would be interested in living in because I like vegetation. I like uh, plant life. I like, you know, a little bit of hills and mountains and stuff. Um, and then from there, I went to Bisbee, Arizona. Now, I've podcasted from a lot of these different places. Um, I... Uh, did a couple of podcasts from Bisbee. I did a tarot podcast, a podcast with a magician, and a podcast with my friend Steve Maramarco, who I went out there and stayed with. And I had only planned on staying in Bisbee for one day, but God, it was such an incredible city. I wound up staying for two. And I also drove eight hours out of my way to get to Bisbee because the uh, the prospect of a... A new place and a new adventure outweighed the prospect of a timeline. And so uh, I got to say, out of any place that I'd been in in uh, Arizona, there's two places I could think of. Well, three. Uh, There's a place up on the hill on the way back from the Grand Canyon to Prescott. And I believe it was in Flagstaff. Flagstaff. And it was up on this hill and you could look down into the, the Grand Canyon And it was, you know, filled with pine trees and trains. And it was like this big hotel in the middle of nowhere that went way back into like the 1920s or 30s and was clearly put there for the elites that that owned, uh, you know, uh, commerce and, and, and manufacturing and the railroads and other things in that area that wanted to travel on the train regularly. Um... And uh, that was a really epic city. And I believe it was in Flagstaff. I could be wrong. Uh, Jerome, Arizona is incredible. Sedona, also really, really awesome place to be. Um, and Bisbee. Uh, just the architecture. Just the area in general. It was so trippy. It was a border town. There was good food, good people, good architecture. Just, you know, this this little city, this old mining town which had like people living around outside of the city and the city itself was just, it was incredible. Like artist community. I think Doug Stanhope, the comedian lives out there. There's a cool little music scene. It was just a really epic town and experience that I got, 
got there in Bisbee. Um, and from there, I went back to California and to San Diego to Carlsbad and stayed with a good friend of mine who does um, a nonprofit for um, homeless people, for humanity showers is what it's called, where they provide showers and haircuts for people. And if you guys uh, feel inclined and want to donate to humanity showers, I would encourage that. Um, I went and I helped them out uh, a few times and I was very impressed um, with the program that they have for a lot of these homeless people and that they would shower these people, feed these people, and then provide them with haircuts after the showers. And I thought that was really awesome. And at the time when I decided to do this and donate my time to Humanity Showers uh, was at a time when I was really pissed off with, with the, the human race and couldn't understand why people were falling for all these mental traps and this psychological warfare that's been um, so... Uh, gracefully <clears throat> and strategically put on by the elite ruling class to deceive us so that they can have a global uh, network um, uh, called basically the New World Order. Um, and as they're referring to it now, the Liberal World Order. Um, and um, I just was so mad at people for not seeing the trap. And um, at the end of the day, I've, 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 I feel like you know, donating my time to humanity showers helped soften me up to human beings a little bit and, and give me that clarity that I needed that, you know, not everybody grew up the way that I did. And, and you know, what I believed as curses at one point in my life, I now see as privileges. Not everybody had the privilege to uh, go through the psychological warfare and traumas that I got to experience in my life, that which which I believe, you know, sharpened my intelligence and street smarts as well as um, uh, kept me from staying in the victim mentality, which at one point I did have for a long time. And, um, you know, hey, you got to grow. You, you got to face your fears and you got to move on. But, um, you know, Carl's bad and... Um, San Diego in general is a really awesome town and I don't ever see myself living in California again, but if I do, it will be in San Diego. It kind of reminded me of like, it had like a, like an LA twist mixed with Hawaii. And, um, as you guys know, I lived in Hawaii for five years, but San Diego was like the perfect fusion of like Hawaii and LA. It was really incredible. And, um, I don't know, like people there didn't give a fuck about the masks. They weren't really like COVID crazy. Um, but from San Diego, I went to LA and they were COVID crazy in LA and just, you know, I grew up in LA and they're just fucking destroying that city, man. It's just a shit show. Um, the Valley wasn't too bad. Um, some areas in the Valley were really bad, but, um, in general, the West side, which all the elitist, um, people that, you know, in the transplants and all the people that have money in LA, they love to bash the valley and and just promote the west side but i'm here to tell you the west side has more crime trash drug addicts and traffic than anywhere in los angeles and everybody hates on the valley but the valley has less crime traffic and garbage going on and um i'm gonna stick up for the valley um because i'm a valley boy and that's where i was born and raised in the sfv uh san fernando valley um, anyways, uh, 
you know, while I was there, I, I, I did the ketamine journey. I, ta- I did a podcast on that about what my experience with that was like. I got to see some friends. A lot of my friends and clients moved. So basically, um, before I got to Alaska, I, I haven't barely tattooed at all the last eight, nine months since I left um, Washington. Um, but uh, I did, I you know, I got to go eat at some really awesome places and spend a lot of time with my family which was really awesome. I, I wound up having some dental issues. I had to go to Mexico and get some dental work done, which, which set me back and really made me depressed. And, and I had to get some teeth extracted. And, you know, I, and I, at that point, I'd spent already seven or eight grand on these fucking teeth over the last 15 years just to get them removed. Uh, really, it was really depressing. And it also, just uh, the toll that it took on my body to heal this gaping hole and and just the the infection that i had had for a couple of months and the meds they put me on it literally took me two months at least to like kind of bounce back from this medical thing and i was not barely working out at all i just had no energy no strength i became really depressed and that's why i wound up doing the ketamine journey and after not um you know i haven't been uh I haven't drank or, you know, smoked weed or done anything in the last almost, you know, three years, uh, two and a half years. Um, And even before that, for, you know, about five years, I didn't drink. Um, So um, I don't look at hallucinogens or or therapeutic um, psychoactive things as um, drugs, Um, particularly if you're um, you're not doing it all the time. And if it's guided towards your healing, and I've said this before, I used to get high and drunk to escape reality. Now I uh, do uh, psychoactive and hallucinogenic things to face the hardships of reality or face the traumas of the past or find a deeper uh, meaning in my life and spirituality. And you know what? That intention works. So, um, LA, it was really good to see my family, uh, you know, after moving to Hawaii, I didn't, you know, over the last 10 years, I didn't get to spend as much time with my family, um, as I did this last trip in LA. And I got to see my mom and my stepdad and my sister and my grandpa and, and, and just a lot of my cousins and family. And we got to spend Christmas together and it was really good. And, um, you know, unfortunately we've had, some family feuds over the years and some of the family doesn't speak to each other but you know the family that I was able to see and get together was really amazing and um it just really um fortified my uh faith and love and uh in family and you know just wish that um you know if I had my way you know I would me and my family would pool our resources and move uh, to a, a property out in the middle of the south somewhere and start farming and gardening and become self-sufficient. We'd live near rivers and lakes um, and um, yeah, we'd have a little family compound. But um, unfortunately, my family doesn't see the dire need for that um, and uh, uh, so... Uh, they're living in cities. Um, uh, after moving to Hawaii, I refuse to live in cities. Uh, I will not do that again. Um, <clears throat> small towns for me. Um, 
from Los Angeles, I went back to Oregon, had a good trip up there, went and I saw Polish Ambassador and went to a few like, you know, like electro parties and hung out with some friends from Hawaii that I used to know and had a really good trip. Um, And again, man, Portland was such a dope, dope city, but it's just getting so fucked up. Um, And uh, really sad, man. The architecture there is incredible. The food there is incredible. The art there is incredible. The art life there is incredible. But leftism, again, is ruining everything. Um, From there, I went into Arizona again. Um, and then uh, visited the family, went, took a trip to the Grand Canyon, camped in a place called Horseshoe Bend with my father, and then we fished up and down the Colorado River for about three days. Um, as we left uh, the Grand Canyon, we had a near-death experience and got into the closest head-on collision I've ever been in in my life, and I could have swore, shit, this is it, and uh, I maintained my calm which seems to be the theme for my near-death experiences, which I've had many, is to maintain calm or as soon as I recognize fear, to immediately calm myself and these things pass. Um, And if it wasn't for my father's cool head, he was in the driver's seat, uh, we would have been dead on the side of the road or in a coma to this day. Um, It was a bad situation, but we got through it and um, here I am. Uh, From there, I drove through uh, New Mexico again, and I went um, and I camped in some really awesome places um, in my Honda Element and uh, got to um, uh, go to Santa Fe, which was a really incredible city, lots of old architecture. I took pictures of a lot of these churches. So what I've been doing as I travel, ladies and gentlemen, is I've been taking pictures of all these places that I've gone so that eventually what I could do is maybe put together a little, um, uh, you know, like a video of my travels or whatever, or maybe do like a little fucking, I don't know, auto documentary or some shit. I, who the fuck knows? Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Santa Fe was really awesome. And, uh, I did a podcast from there, uh, with, with random artists on the street. She was really cool. I forget her name, but she was also living the van life and traveling and, and, and things like that. And from there, I drove through, uh, New, um, New Mexico into Texas, hung out in, uh, San Antonio for a couple of weeks, uh, did some tattooing, hung out with some old friends, and then the Uvalde shooting had happened. And um, again, they tried to convince us that some random 19-year-old kid came in and started you know, making accurate, precise uh, kill shots like a special ops trained uh, army ranger or navy seal, and that somehow on a you know, job where he worked in like fast food or something, he was able to afford $9,000 worth of artillery and ammunition, as well as as um, being high on pharmaceuticals and being able to make precise kill shots. Again, Manchurian candidate or somebody was helping him with those shots. And, and in Uvalde, the police decided that they were going to stand down again for 45 minutes, kind of like what they did in Florida. So when they stand down, what happens is these shooters are able to kill more people and then the outrage uh, for guns is is much uh, greater. Um, and 
people's, you know, soft heart, I get it. It's horrible. We don't want children dying and getting shot by, um, by people. Uh, the problem is, is people are like, well, if I could just save, you know, five kids from getting shot, you know, I'd gladly give up my guns. And it's like, okay, that's a great sentiment. And I, and I appreciate your loving heart, but in your loving heart, you've, um, you know, taken allegiance to ignorance because what happens when you give up your guns is, uh, not only are 20, you know, our 150 children a year are going to die in school shootings. What's going to happen is, is the government's going to round you up and they're going to slaughter everyone. So um, I get that you don't want children to die. None of us want that. But you're failing to see the big picture when you turn in your firearms. See, there's a reason why Australia was able to uh, lock people down for a year straight and start shoving them in quarantine camps against their wishes. There's a reason why people in Canada are, are, are still locked down or were locked down for a year and Justin Trudeau is punking everyone out and closing down their bank accounts. Because these countries don't have guns or they don't have a a right to the second amendment like america has so as of now on the global uh uh on the on the global level uh it is america that is somewhat keeping the globalist new world order ai technocratic super state from happening um they're gonna keep trying to push it um, but I believe at some point they will make a fatal mistake um, and uh, we will clap back on them. I think the military is going to turn on the government. Uh, I've said that for years. I think uh, eventually people are going to see, hey, wait a second. You know, it's either we fight now or we're going to fucking die like a bunch of fucking scumbags. Uh, people will eventually fight back. Um, I don't believe that it's going to uh, wind up like Nazi Germany or any of these other catastrophes, even though they've happened over and over and over again. What I believe we're entering right now is a, a new age, and that is why our world is changing so much. Uh, my good friend Manuel had said to me recently that the Ethiopian calendar says that currently we are in 2014 if that's the case and that would mean 2020 was actually 2012 and we know what the mayan and aztec calendar talked about the prophecies of end times at 2012 and i just really resonated with that that uh yeah when i look at how the last two years on my 47 years on this planet have been it has been unlike any other time period and i have been through a lot of crazy shit been through a lot of crazy places and seen a lot of things nothing like i have seen the last two years so i i could probably get behind the fact that we are in 2014 and it's the end of the age we're entering the age of aquarius and at the um when ages change so does civilization and there's nothing you can do about it which is why i tell people we don't have control over the client climate we have control over the environment um, the climate will change. There will be ice ages. There will be floods. There will be all kinds of things that humanity itself has no control over. As above, so below. We are at the mercy of our surroundings. Everything that is happening right now is divinely orchestrated. And, and I fall victim to my own anxiety or my own, uh, you know, mental bullshit where I've, you know, freaked out in the past over certain things. But at the end of the day, it's like this is happening the way it's supposed to happen. I have to surrender that, that, that there is a, a divine plan at play. 
And um, I'm along for the ride. And that that's it. Anyhow, again, you guys know how ADD I get and I go off on my tangents. Uh, so, yes, school shootings, Manchurian candidates. If you don't know what a Manchurian candidate is, look it up. If you haven't researched mass shooting conspiracies, you should get into that because it pretty much outlines everything that's happening and how they do all that um, and how for the last 200 years, 250 years, we had guns, but uh, mass shootings didn't start happening until about 20 years ago. Pretty interesting. Um, from San Antonio, I went to Austin, hung out with some friends up there, did some tattooing, did a little bit of uh, gardening and, and helping some friends out with landscaping. Uh, really had a good time up there. Um, got some video gaming in, which I love. From there, um, and, and Austin's a cool little area. I forget the name exactly of the place. It was just outside of Austin where I was. Um, I think it was called Leander, Texas. Um, and it was, it was a cool little area. Um <clears throat> wouldn't live there but would take that over the pacific northwest any day um or i would definitely take leander over um arizona as well um not to say that i wouldn't live in like flagstaff or sedona because those are really nice areas and i would consider that um but From there, I went and I visited my aunt up in Dallas. I'd never been to Dallas before. I'd been to Leander and Austin before and San Antonio a couple of times. Um, Dallas was really cool. I really enjoyed that area. I really enjoyed the visit that I had with my aunt, whom I hadn't seen in years. And what was really awesome is she, the last time we got together, which was years ago, was really resistant to a lot of the things that we were talking about because she's really religious, but... I think um, people, even like the really religious people, are starting to open their mind to a lot of the trickery the church has been playing on them and that, that um, you know, uh, religion is an institutional, um, it's an institutional uh, state of being. It's it's not this spiritual way of thinking. Like, you, you know, it's, it's, you know, I could pick it apart completely just like i can pick apart atheism and and you know liberalism or republicanism or any of these fucking isms that that we have out there um but she was actually very open-minded to a lot of things that i was talking about and i had been fasting a lot while i was in texas i was doing like water fasting a lot while i was there you know like doing like 36 hours of water 10 hours of eating 36 hours of water and i did that about nine times while i was in texas um and um we just talked about a lot of really awesome stuff and she was a lot more receptive to a lot of the things i said and she had said to me she's like wow you know like years ago i thought like you were like losing it and i was just so like i just didn't see where you were coming from but with everything that's been happening on the planet in the last two years i'm a lot more open-minded now i just feel like something really weird is at play and i was like yeah it's it's because something weird is at play. We've been deceived our entire lives. We've grown up in a beast system, in a Luciferian satanic system. And I'm not saying this as a Christian. I'm saying this as an outside observer. We've grown up in a beast system. And unfortunately, um, you know, we're suffering from it. So <clears throat> I had good talks with my aunt and a good breakfast and then i hit the road again and i drove through oklahoma which i was really surprised i really liked that area i thought it was really awesome 
Um, I camped out in Oklahoma for a night and um, then drove through Kansas. Um, another thing that had happened while I was in Texas was <clears throat> the sorry about that. Um, I camped out in Oklahoma for the night and um, I was really, in, you know, thought it was really really cool area but while i was in texas the ten thousand cattle that had died from the heat wave um had happened which i thought was very interesting because um kansas is two states up and nowhere near as hot as texas and texas is also known for its cattle the interesting thing about these cattle dying in kansas was that they supposedly died of a heat wave in the middle of the night well if you know these occultists and these dark arts practitioners and elites like i do they do what is called revelation of the method. Now, um, a few months earlier, maybe six months, maybe even a year earlier, they had put out a show called um, Yellowstone where um, there was a depiction of uh, this. Uh, these guys who were in battle, these ranchers were in battle, and somebody flew a plane over um, this cattle field and they dropped all the shit on the cattle and then like thousands of cattle died. And um, what that is, is preparing uh, the public for mass cattle die-off. It's basically casting a spell. Um, But what's also really interesting is that Texas is way hotter than Kansas and no cattle died from heat waves in uh, Texas. So how I, I deciphered heat wave. There's something called direct energy weapons, which is basically um, shot from planes. Um, and what it does is it microwaves um, humans or um, microwaves mammals. So it's possible that they microwaved these cattle in the middle of the night with directed energy weapons. If you guys don't know about directed energy weapons, you can look into that. That's pretty much how all the fires in California and the West Coast have been being started, which is why, you know, you'll see like houses and cars melted, but trees still alive near them because it's directed energy weapons. They direct it at a target and the other stuff uh, around it survives. It basically um, just fries whatever it points at um uh, it's also possible that they poisoned these cattle in the middle of the night shortly after that um thousands of sheep died um which is is really strange because now all of a sudden we're having all these food shortages everywhere but these people for some reason uh, you know no other time in history have we had all these processing plants and granaries and and farms you know have such a massive die-off but coincidentally it's all happening during a time where we're we're having a hard time growing crops and all you know all these processing plants are catching on fire for whatever reason we can't protect the food guys it just is really weird it's almost like it's it's uh, strategically designed that way um, but uh, I drove through Kansas um, which was was also interesting and then I drove th- drove through Iowa um, you know the the areas that I drove through they were really they were nice, actually. I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been through those states before, but um, I camped in, in all three of those states for a night, and then I wound up in Minnesota um, with my buddy <clears throat> from way back in St. Paul, um, or in Hastings, which is outside of St. Paul, which is outside of Minneapolis. And um, that area has a very interesting history, and some of the most uh, prolific... Uh, corporations have started out there, Pillsbury, uh, Kellogg's, 
DuPont, um, gold, you know, gold medal flower, um, all just like massive, massive uh, families came out of there. Dowen Jones, Lewis and Clark, lots of, you know, people that were related to the presidents. Uh, we went into the cemeteries there and I just took pictures of these headstones. And what was really crazy was, is a lot of the headstones were massive um, obelisks and had lots of Masonic and occult symbols all over them. And they were buried in the higher parts of the cemetery and surrounded in the lower parts by religious um, uh, headstones. So whoever was part of the brotherhood and the cult and the secret societies was buried up on the mountain above all the religious headstones below them. And uh, the names, you know, lots of, you know, last names from celebrities and musicians and, you know, just a lot of their relatives, like the most incredible wealth came out of Minnesota. It's staggering. And um, that's pretty much where the uh, railway system started under, I believe his name was James J. Hill and um, some other railroad barons. And, um, yeah, I, I, I took pictures of a lot of the cathedrals and architecture in that area and just don't believe it was built in the 1800s, not by a long shot. And the reason why I feel that way is because when I was in Spain and I walked all over Barcelona, Fugueras, Caracas, Montserrat, and all these different places, I had the opportunity to really analyze the architecture in these areas, and um, a lot of the architecture in a lot of the places that I've traveled from Texas to a lot of these other places has felt and looked very similar to the old world architecture in Europe. And uh, I'm thoroughly convinced that this stuff was here, be you know, pre-Columbus. And um, yeah, you guys, if you haven't heard my podcast on Tartaria and the Millennial Reign of Christ, which I believe was episode 110, I highly suggest you listen to that one. To me, that's some of the best podcasting I've ever done. And I've been invited on multiple podcasts because of that one um, to talk and give lectures. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> from Minnesota, I, uh, I came to Alaska and I've been up here ever since. And, um, it's been nonstop tattooing and, um, it's been incredible and, um, I love it and I'm super stoked. I couldn't be up here during the winter because it goes dark for six months. And the reason why I left Washington was because I wasn't getting enough sunlight. But with that being said, I have had a little bit of time to watch some conspiracy stuff here and there. And I'm going to give you guys my brief interpretation on the monkeypox and a lot of the other fuckery that's happening right now. Monkeypox is a side effect from the jabs that everybody got and the boosters that everybody got. And um, they're blaming it on gay men. But um, it will slowly trickle into uh, the straight people as well. Uh, just kind of like AIDS did. Um, but just like AIDS, how Dr. Fauci uh, murdered all these homosexual men with his AZT drug, which destroyed their liver and kidneys, the uh, jab and boosters will be the culprit for the monkeypox, the heart attacks, uh, the respiratory issues, and um, the AIDS-like symptoms that people in the future 
uh, and now presently that are coming down with uh, will be uh, big pharma will be behind the massive murder again and it will be done in the guise of saving humanity and protecting your families and all this shit and we know how everybody fell for that bullshit hook line and sinker but we saw all the fuckery that they pulled during the pandemic um and um you know, what happened, everyone? And like I've said in past podcasts, I got the Delta variant. At that point, I thought COVID was the flu or a cold, and these guys were just running a, a psyop on us. But once I got the Delta variant, I realized, holy shit, this is a man-made bioweapon, or it's possibly a parasite that they've been spraying on us through geoengineering and chemtrails or through our water or whatever. But I did, uh, you know, I wound up in the ER with blood clots in my leg and all they wanted to do is talk about how I needed to get vaccinated and I was just like, fuck no, I will not. I will die from this uh, virus before I take the jab. So when people bring things up to me and they think that I'm just a a part-time vaccine warrior, uh, no, I almost died from the Delta variant and I stood my ground. And so with that being said, when I tell people I will eat a bullet before I take that vaccine, I mean it. I mean what I say. I've been there. I've done it. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm telling you, I mean what I say. I stand my ground. I wound up in the ER twice. Uh, um, one time I needed to get, I couldn't eat. I couldn't hold down, couldn't even hold down water. And I needed an IV drip. They gave me the IV drip. And within a week and a half, I was back in the ER with blood clots um, in my leg and uh, could have died. Um, if I didn't take care of my health the way that I had, if I hadn't been eating right and hadn't been exercising, training martial arts and meditating and drinking a ton of water, which I believe I, the blood clots were in my leg for at least five fucking days. My, I could, couldn't walk for five days before I went to the ER. And it, and it was by the grace of God that I talked to one of my friends and she said, dude, you're describing blood clots and that's a side effect from this variant. You need to go to the ER immediately or you're going to wind up with a heart attack. And I might have gone in just the nick of time. Uh, So I will stand my ground. I will die on this hill. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to all this bullshit that's happening around us, I, I say to everybody, the answer to our government is to stand your ground and say, no, no, I will not do that. No, I will not turn in my guns. No, I will not get vaccinated. No, I will not pay my fucking taxes. No, I will not. No, I will not allow my children to be masked and taught about sexuality, whether it's homosexuality or heterosexuality. I do not want five-year-old children learning about sex. Sorry, pedophiles. That's not happening. No. So that's what we as a human race have to do. We also have to be involved in, in spiritual practices. We need to be meditating. We need to be eating right. We need to be fasting. We need to be doing cold therapy. We need to be doing saunas. We need to be exercising. We need to be doing dietary things. We need to be doing things that challenge our faculties. We need to be praying. We need to be doing visual meditations and sound healing and, and just doing the things that challenge our spirit. You know, like if you talked to me 10, 15 years ago, the shit that I'm into now, no fucking way. You know what I was into back then? Getting high as fuck, uh, uh, fucking everything that walked, um, and, uh, you know, not really, you know, questioning God even, you know, kind of like half, half step atheist even. So 
you know, now it's like I've done all this spiritual stuff. I've pretty much been sober for the most part the last decade. And it's like the clearer my head gets, the deeper and weirder my spiritual belief systems become. And and then again, I'm pushing 50. I'm about to be 47 years old. And I feel better than I ever have in my entire life. So clearly a lot of the practices that I've done that a lot of people will say are weird and they don't they can't get down with, the shit is fucking working, dude. So... And um, I, I just, you know, I encourage a lot of people out there to uh, challenge their faculties and their comfort levels and to do things that, that, that may bring you some spiritual enlightenment because um, we're moving into a time where I believe that that will be our salvation, that a lot of what we attract into our lives will be vibrational and will be uh, based off of our views, uh, you know, of the timelines that are simultaneously happening now. And I did a podcast way back about timelines, intersecting timelines and, and, and multiple realities and things like that. Um, and that's kind of where I think that we're at, where like we have all these timelines going on right now. And it's like, what timeline do you want to be part of? And that's where even the, um, what is that called? The, um, mandala effect comes in. It's like, we're clearly seeing shifting timelines or the shifting of an age um, from the age of Pisces, the fish, which was why Christ's symbol was the fish, um, to the age of Aquarius, the water bearer. And the water is being poured out. And when the water is poured out, that means the water and rains and snows will come. And I believe each age is like each season. It happens on the micro and macrocosm. And as a book, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without. Um, if it's happening on a uh, lower level, um, seasonally, it's happening uh, on a molecular and cellular level within each one of us, which could explain what menstruation is. Perhaps that's uh, the winter of, of each month in every woman and men experience things too we just we're not as in touch with ourselves as as we should be and i think part of that has to do with circumcisions and them desensitizing us and removing the hood of our penis and the nerve endings down there because if anybody knows what dowsing is our genitals are basically like dowsing wands and um so i i think that all of this is strategic and it's to keep us away from our higher self and to keep us disconnected from our surroundings. And the more connected we become to ourselves, the more connected we become to our surroundings and the less the bullshit on the outside world will affect us. Now, with that being said, Alaska has been great. I'm going to be here for another month. I had some fuckery happen with the, the airlines, but I believe that I'm getting that squared away. Uh, I, I, came, I only came up here to do three weeks, and I've now changed my flight twice, and it will be two months by the time I leave here and fly back to Minnesota. And from Minnesota, I want to go to Illinois and help my friends start a little garden. And then from there, I want to start heading to that darty darty south. Y'all know what I mean. I'm trying to get out there to that south, that sun and vegetation, so I could do some farming and gardening. Anyways, you guys, 
Thanks for listening. Pay attention. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people getting sick. You know, if you, you guys have been paying attention to the headlines, a lot of athletes are dropping dead from heart attacks in the field. And now, now all these medical journals are coming out saying you could get a heart attack from a shower or from sleeping or from napping or from eating or from all this shit. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It all has to do from the vaccines and the boosters that people took. And I also believe that there's a way to re- reverse all the effects from these vaccines and boosters. Uh, you don't need to die from that stuff. Um, and, and a lot of that shit I will talk about. I will do a special episode on how to or my perceived. Maybe I'll have a guest on uh, with me to talk about how to reverse the effects of these vaccines and boosters. And I believe one of them is by rubbing a powerful magnet all over your body because if there's um, metals or possible nanotechnology in you, the magnet will scramble that system. Um, And uh, also pine needle tea, um, pine pollen, beetroot powder. These are all blood thinners. They, they, are, they also, they help the blood uh, coagulate through the body. Um, fish oils um, and things of that nature. And I will do a, a deeper, uh, zeolite. Zeolite is a detoxifier. Cilantro, parsley, uh, these type of things. Bentonite clay, activated charcoal, and water fasting. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Love, healing, truth, mind, body, spirit. I'm out.